The Athletic. Welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Coming up, Man City sure look good. Marnham makes her mark and football's next generation. Hello, it's Lindsay Hooper here and with me today is sports broadcaster Anne-Marie Batson. Hello, Anne-Marie. Hey, hey, everyone. Hey, Lindsay. Great to see you. Um, and I saw you in person recently, which has been some time. So it I was know. nice to get a hug. Um, I've also <laughs> got someone I haven't seen in person for ages, but Mia Erickson, football journalist, joins us. And what a weekend for us to get you on. It's as if this has been planned out, Mia, because Frida Marnham, she's just taking off. Finally. And you guys, finally, you guys get to see her in action for real as well. I'm very happy about that. I knew this would happen, by the way. Yes. Well, we will get more on that later. It was a really busy weekend, wasn't it? England and other countries found out their World Cup opponents and their groups. More on that to come. Uh, Speaking of England as well, do you remember in the summer we spoke a lot about widening the talent pool to make a more diverse England side? I know that, Anne-Marie, that's something that we've definitely spoken about before. Well, today we're going to be chatting to some of the next generation of young black players coming through. So please stick around for that. Uh, But first to the WSL, where the weekend starts started bright and early. I was there with this one. You sure? Oh, it is two. And Tottenham caught dallying in possession. And Bunny Shaw is absolutely ruthless. Won back by Shaw and finished by Shaw. Well, we thought it might be a tight one, but Manchester City actually ran away with a 3-0 win over Tottenham at Brisbane Road, thanks to two goals from Bunny Shaw and one from Lauren Hemp. Shaw is now the WSL's top goal scorer so far with five goals. And Marie, I think we had the wisdom of Rich Laverty very early on, predicting that Bunny Shaw could be a golden boot contender. And who are we to disagree now? Big up Bunny Shaw. I'm half Jamaican, which will make my mum very happy to see somebody at the top of the golden boot tree, as I call it, because the charge is on. And what I'm so excited about with Bunny Shaw is that we get to see what she's capable of and more. She knows when to receive the ball. She knows when to make run-ins through defenders. And she's so clinical as well, especially that second goal. It was an amazing second goal. She is an out-and-out striker. Of course, when Ellen White was part of the squad last season, there was a lot of competition for that space. It's now hers and hers alone. And this result for City means that they will keep up the pace, of course, on Arsenal and United and Chelsea as well. But I'm so glad that the world now gets to see this fantastic player. We got glimpses of her last season and now we've got her at full throttle in the WSL. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the second goal because you're right. She dropped back deeper. She actually dispossesses Spurs. So she starts this move off and then finishes it. And I wonder, Mia, whether this is something with strikers now in WSL that we need to expect of of them more is that they've got to work more than just be in the box. They've got to come deeper. It's something that we're seeing a little bit more of. Yeah, I think we saw Bethany England actually uh, on the late uh, Sunday night game doing that as well. But I, I do think that, you know, when when teams press uh, the way they do at the moment, many of the top teams, uh, we I'm, I'm sure we get to see a lot of, of these strikers uh, 
winning the ball back and just go for it straight away. And I think one one thing also Bunny Show, I think you have got to admire about her is that she's very good at receiving the ball with her back uh, towards the goal as well to hold up the ball. And I do think that, yeah, was a class act from her uh, all game through. It was a very quiet match for Ellie Roebuck in the City goal. And I don't know how much that says about Spurs, Anne-Marie. I mean, afterwards, I was quite surprised because Rianne Skinner said to me in her post-match interview, she thought they played really well and created lots of chances. And although they, they didn't not create anything, it was whether it was anything of note. I think it's an excellent point to make. About that first 45 minutes, Ellie Roebuck didn't really have a lot to do. And for somebody of her quality and her calibre sitting in between the sticks or standing between the sticks for... Manchester City, you've got to say that it wasn't there for Spurs and they look at times disjointed and they weren't closing down the players in terms of the Man City side. There were pockets of space all over the shop. They're going to have to figure out how to score the goals. And I think for me, teams will spot that. They will see that there are teams out there that are going to dominate from the get-go. And I know that Rianne Skinner's talked about this season that, that, that she wants the team to be on the front foot to be fast-paced with their style. I didn't see that in this game and they were overwhelmed quite quickly. There were pockets of opportunities here and there, but there just wasn't enough. And if this team want to aspire to break into that top five, they finished fifth last season. If they want to go higher, they're going to have to show a lot more quality. Now, injuries potentially is going to play a part in this. You know, we send our regards, obviously, for Ellie Brazil. You know, we hope that she comes through that okay. They've got no Kit Graham. Yeah, nasty injury. Yeah, it was a nasty injury. Uh, Kit Graham is a big loss for them and Rhea Percival as well. Let's hope over the next few months that other players can now step up to the plate because if they want to push on, which I think that's what Rianne Skinner wants, they're going to have to really change their game plan in terms of pressing down teams quicker and getting more shots on goal. If there were a couple of teams, Mia, last season that we looked at and thought, oh, they look like a difficult team to break down, one of them would have been Spurs and the other one would have been Brighton. And I'm not sure that either of them have shown as much at the start of this campaign. No. Uh, I mean, I'm going to jump in on what Anne-Marie said just there, that you couldn't see any... Anything from Spurs that they they want wanted to keep possession. Actually, I, I would have guessed that the tactic was to go on counters. If I would not know anything about it, but uh, I mean they had massive problems to play out from the back and uh, ended up in in tight situations, uh, just going for long balls up uh, and where Man- Manchester City dominated that midfield. Uh, so I. I, I just think that you know the top teams this season they are they have raised the bar one one more level up and the the middle middle table teams have to do the same um, so it's not just about defending this season I think you have to go mm. forward as well. A quick mention for Ashley Neville. It was her 50th WSL appearance. I had to ask her about England afterwards. She did seem to think she was in contention for an England spot for the next camp. And you'd have to say that Anne-Marie, she's she's doing everything that she needs to to be considered at least. And Serena Rigman will be across that. Will be across that, of course. And you know your performances on the pitch. You'll be looking at see if there's potentially a chance for for Ashley Neville to to be part of that team. It's you know it's all to play for for next for the next World Cup. Of course, she's. I think she's created 
six chances in open play this season. So she's had her moments. It's just finishing those moments off. And if she can continue delivering those style of performances, then she's got as good as opportunity as anybody else to try and make the England squad. There's a good point made in commentary, actually, by Jackie Oatley, the fact that if she came in at left back, it would free Rachel Daly up to maybe be used as a striker. So it's an interesting uh, conundrum for Serena Wiegmann. We'll let her do the thinking. She's done it so well <laughs> to date, hasn't she? Uh, a word about Ubogiu, who came off the bench from Spurs. It was her return. Now, she'd had this nine-month ban for ant- an anti-doping violation, which was all to do with medication that she was taking for her skin. As a result of that, Anne-Marie, it meant that she wasn't even allowed on the training ground. I mean, nine months away was her working in isolation. So she got some minutes from the bench against Manchester City. And I was just thinking from her point of view of integrating back and being up to speed, you know, is this a big ask of her to, to be at that level straight away? It is because of the period of time that, that she's been out and getting back into the rhythm. And of course, Spurs at the moment, they're attacking on all fronts in terms of competition. So she will get chances to get minutes, but it will be down to, and obviously down to Rianne Skinner to manage those minutes because they've got some big injuries in their squad. They cannot afford for a few more to go down. So I think it's a chance for her to take it step by step, a few minutes here and there across those games, get her back into squad, definitely back into the rhythm of the WSL She'll be fine. Well, rhythm is one thing that everyone struggles with, Anne-Marie, in this campaign, because you just get going, there's an international break, just get going, then there's Christmas. But anyway, we'll leave that one there. So after Ellen White retired, City now have a new star in Bunny Shaw, as do Arsenal. Ford once again, being that threat, feeds Marnham, away from two defenders. One to remember for Frieda Marnham. Yes, Frieda Marnham strikes again. A stunning performance in the Champions League where Arsenal handed the holders Leon their biggest loss in 17 years. And then Marnham scores again against Liverpool. Uh, Leah Valti also netted her first WSL goal to make it 2-0 to the visitors who topped the table once more with their 12th WSL win in a row. Mia, I've got to come straight to you. It's Marnham talk time. Tell us just how good she is and should she be starting over Miedemar at the moment? I think she, yeah, she is that good <laughs> to answer your question. But the fact is that, you know, when she was signed by Lynn Schöping in, in Sweden, when she joined here, she was seen as one of the greatest talents in Norway. Uh, and I do think we see that now. And your question about if I think she is going to start ahead of <laughs> Viviane Midema, I do think that depends on what football Jonas Edeval now, right now is... Uh, what he wants to play, what kind of football does he want to play? Because you could see the fact that when she played against Lyon, she did a remarkable job to to keep players out of the game. I mean, big name players. Uh, And I also think that her way of carrying the ball uh, forward, that's also uh, something, I mean, it's just enjoyable to watch. Uh, And she is a great finisher, which I'm also very delighted that people get to see now. Uh, because her strikes, they are also very, very good and clean. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice problem to have if you're Jonas Eideval, isn't it? And you're thinking, oh, for this one, shall I go with Miedemar or Marnham? Which one? What, what a tough life he has. 
We spoke on the podcast last time ahead of the Ballon d'Or, and now we know that Beth Mead came second in that. She goes on to then score two in that 5-1 win over Leon, and it was consistency that we identified with her. Look, I'm going to come to you, Mia, because I feel like you're more of a neutral on this. I feel like Anne-Marie and I, we were here on home soil enjoying that Euros win. We maybe are a bit jaded when it comes to where we would have voted. But for Alexia Pateas to win it and then Beth Mead comes second, what were the thoughts on that around Europe? Yeah, I do think that uh, this year uh, that we have seen in women's football, it's one of the hardest years ever to decide who are going to get these awards because of the fact that the ones that didn't make it in the in their domestic leagues or in the Champions League, they made it uh, in the Euro. So this is about, you know, what, what are we going to value the most? I mean, I just think that we should enjoy that we have such great players to watch now, like Beth Mead, like Alexia Boteas and... And I think I would have been happy with either of them to win the Ballon d'Or. I don't think anyone would have disagreed if Beth Mead would have won. Uh, but I don't think that we should not agree uh, that Alexia Poteas actually did win it. Mm. The and guest was a, a nice addition, wasn't it? I mean, if anyone was not going to get named out of Viv Miedemar and Beth Mead, I don't know, I wouldn't want to miss either of them out to be honest. I mean, both of them equal in importance to this Arsenal side at the minute. We have seen that consistency. We saw them get over the line again in this one. I mentioned about Leah Valti as well, as well as scoring goals. We know just how good a job she does as well, Anne-Marie, when she's protecting the ball. And, and that is a role that shouldn't be overlooked either. No, and I'm actually going to put that first and put in scoring the goals the second, because the fact that she can dictate as a central midfielder, she's also the glue when she's been, when she's deployed as a defensive midfielder as well she spots everything she's very calm she's like she's like telepathic like that football intelligence able to spot things before they happen and steps in as well if a player's been dispossessed she's there straight away trying to get the ball back and I think that is such a crucial part of the midfield yes it's great that she can score goals and maybe she'll become known as like the set piece speciality goal scorer kind of person within Arsenal. But the fact that Liverpool couldn't handle her, they couldn't handle her in that midfield. I love the fact that she's now got another layer that she can get one for the team. But crucially, she is the heartbeat of that midfield. Mm, and she plays such an integral role in, in doing that. For Liverpool, in the post-match, it felt like there were some grumblings from Matt Beard about a possible penalty. I don't know how much of a bearing that might have had, but from a manager's point of view, the timing that those decisions are made, sometimes you feel like it could sway the way that a, a goal goes. And and clearly as well, Mia, he's missing some key players. You know, Leanne Kiernan has been, has been missed a lot, you know, in terms of goals. She was their top goal scorer last season and um, and has been out for some time now since the start of the season. So from his point of view, what sort of job do you think he's got on his hands at the moment with his Liverpool team? I mean, I, I still think that they should be very proud of their performance against Chelsea in the first game because you can see what the strengths uh, of the team is at the moment. I mean, obviously, Arsenal will be one of the toughest opponent a team can have in the WSL this season. And there are a lot of reasons for that, uh, I think, because Jonas Edeval, he is something, he got something good going on 
with the way he approaches the game. But I'm, I must say this as, as well, that Sarina Wichmann said, this, said during the Euros that goal changes games. So, of course, I mean, situations like that with penalties not given if they should be given, uh, I, I can really feel for teams when that happened and coaches because every coach obviously wants to to have a team that that gets the chance uh, to score, not just defend. But I mean, we're always going to have this these discussions about penalties not given or offside offsides that has been when goals given and stuff. Uh, as long as we don't have the VAR in. In, in the women's game. Mm, it, it does feel that he's having a team that are trying to run through treacle at the minute because he hasn't got that depth in squad and you can just see that they're having to just put every ounce of what they've got into every single match at the moment and they're not getting much from it since that opening game and that opening surprise win. Matt Beard, I'm sure, will get a tune out of them um, in one of the matches coming up. In other games from the weekend, Manchester United are second in the table thanks to a 1-0 win over Leicester City uh, with the first United goal in that game for Nikita Paris. Chelsea followed up their 1-0 win over PSG in the Champions League with a 2-0 win away at Brighton. That was thanks to Beth England and Panilla Harder. West Ham's Viviane Assay looked dangerous up front as they beat Reading 3-2. I mean, if there was a thriller game, that was it. Lucy Graham as well handed Everton a 1-0 win over Aston Villa. But now we fly from England to New Zealand for the World Cup draw. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. The World Cup groups are in. England will face Denmark, China and either Senegal, Haiti or Chile in Group D next summer in the Australia and New Zealand World Cup. And we'll start with England because... It seems to be quite a winnable group, Mia. Again, we'll go for the non-bias opinion first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it not. I mean, Denmark is in that group, so I'm going to take my Scandinavian hat on now <laughs> to just uh, yeah, because I do think I feel for Denmark ending up in that group. I can see like the the game in my head again that they played against Norway in the Euros when I think about Denmark going out to face them. Uh, but I also think. The fact is that Denmark ended up in that group is they they weren't sure of the fact that they could get end up in pot three if they lost against Australia and uh, that they played a couple of weeks back. So, but I do think that England is clear favourites to win this group. In that case, you you don't need myself or Anne Marie to embellish that further because I think we feel that they're very much strong favourites. When you, when we saw that draw come out, I think in Group D, we'd be surprised if they didn't top that. So I suppose what we have to do, Anne Marie, is go to the next stage because the knockouts look like that's where it could get tough. Um, Charlotte Harper from the Athletic has pointed this out as well. So if England get out of the group, which we expect them to, they could then likely face Canada or Australia in the round of sixteen. There's the potential for Germany in the quarterfinals for a Euro final repeat and then a semi-final against France, Brazil, Australia or Canada, maybe the USA even in the final. It's certainly not going to be easy for anyone, is it, in this World Cup? No, it won't be, not at all. I mean, England are going to relish this. They're not going to step off and suddenly think, oh my goodness, look at these the names that we could potentially face in the knockout stages because belief is sky high. They've got a clean run to the knockout stages that will increase their belief levels even more. And they believe, they so believe they can compete with the best. For us, us supporters, we're all going to be holding our breath a little bit because they're going to come up against 
you know, Canada, the Olympic champions with that lovely gold medal of theirs. The Australians are a tough prospect. Germany are going to not going to like us very much after what happened with the Euros final and then everybody else on top of that. But England are going to love this. And I think it will add more fuel to the fire and really gear themselves up for this. But I'm so excited for this. When I saw the pot that England in, I was like, yeah, bring it on. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a real battle. It's going to be some real classic matches as well. The England England will be fine. I think they'll get past Canada, actually, and then I'll worry after that. Okay, let's talk about Norway and Sweden, who going into pretty much every major tournament are one of the favourites, usually. They're up there, they're being discussed. Do you think after the Euros that that might have just dipped slightly the expectation? Not for Sweden, uh, but no. for Norway, maybe. Uh, I do okay. think that uh, if I were a Norwegian uh, supporter at the moment, I would be very happy about this draw. But also, I, I'm kind of thinking that this could also mean that the the pressure for them to really move on from the group stage now into the knockout stage, that it's big. I mean, obviously, with that draw, you... I mean, who, who wouldn't have those expectations with a team like Norway and the names in it? So I think that will be very exciting to see Norway play. Give us a reminder as you're saying that, because people might have forgotten who they who they got in their in their group, Mia. Yeah, so Norway has New Zealand, Switzerland, and the Philippines. And I mean, obviously, Norway is one of the favorites uh, in this group. I mean, I'm sure Switzerland also is happy about this uh, in some way. But, I mean, th- these players in Norway now, they, they have a chance to restore their like reputation as one of the greatest nations in, in women's football in Scandinavia. So I'm sure they are hungry to, to prove everyone that uh, the game against England this summer, that was a one-timer. And it sounds like uh, you're thinking Sweden will be in the knockouts from your earlier reaction. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I the the performance they put up against France now uh, in this in former uh, international break that was uh, just recently, I think we all got our hope restored uh, in the fact that Sweden should be seen as one of the favourites to go far in this tournament. I'm very excited because uh, Sweden has never played against Argentina. So that will be fun. Mm. Well, to get a flavour of the reaction from the rest of the world, we caught up with some fellow journalists as well. Here's Alicia Ferguson and co-host Australia, Julien Laurent on France and Meg Linehan on the USA. Catley delivers. It's a good ball in. It's there for Car. Well, Australia have drawn Ireland, Nigeria and Canada in Group B for the World Cup next year. And I think it's a pretty tough group. You know, Ireland, up and coming nation. We lost to them. Sam Kerr's 100th cap, that was, last year. So that's going to be a really tough opening match. I can only imagine the banter that's going on already between Katie McCabe, Steph Catley and Caitlin Ford at Arsenal. And I'm sure that will continue right up to the kickoff of that match. Nigeria, you know, they're the highest ranked African nation and, and are always really tricky to play against, can be quite unpredictable and, and have one of the best strikers in the world when she's fit, Ashisat Ashwala. So definitely going to be another tough match. And then Canada, well, we lost twice to get against them recently. I feel like Canada is a bit of our new Brazil. We seem to be coming up against them quite a bit in recent times. Olympic gold medalists, 
and the all-time leading goal scorer in Christine Sinclair. You know, they're, they've got bags of quality on that team. And also we've got a bit of a spy in the ranks now, though. So Tom Samani, former Matildas coach, is helping out Bev Priestman and the Canadian team now. So Tommy can maybe give us some inside knowledge, but I think his allegiances will be with Canada this time around. Exciting group. Can't wait for it. Well, the French are quite happy with the draw. They just wanted to avoid Canada more than anything else in, in pot two. They were in pot one, France, Denmark in pot three and Nigeria in pot four. So from their point of view, they avoided the teams that they really wanted to avoid. Brazil is tough, of course. But after Brazil, outside of Brazil, Jamaica uh, from pot three is, is very affordable for France. And then whoever qualifies, uh, when you look at the team still in contention, that's, that's again... A very good draw for the French. So in the end, it could have been far worse. And they will hope to go from strength to strength. They're hoping that the draw will help them getting ready for the knockout stage and then can go on and reach at least the semi-final, which I believe will be the objective, hoping to go even further. For the U.S. women's national team, I think the draw, the group itself, you know, there's not this immediate concern. I know Ali Wagner has been on TV a lot here saying that the Netherlands are the top 10 team that looks the most beatable for the U.S. women's national team. But for me, this this group stage draw is really all about placement, right? I think everybody's very confident that they're going to get out of group. They're going to move on to the knockout rounds. But it's really just about can you maximize your chances coming out of group to ease your path moving forward. And round of 16, you're looking at potentially either Sweden or Italy. And I think it's pretty clear which one of those teams the U.S. is going to want to face right off the bat in their first knockout stage game. Great to hear their thoughts. Well, the eyes of the world will be on this World Cup and that's what we want, not least, so it can inspire the next generation as well. But who exactly will they be inspiring? Watching the Lionesses win the Euros this summer, we spoke a lot about how some young players didn't actually feel inspired at all because of the lack of black role models in the team. So we wanted to keep that conversation going around Black History Month as well and look ahead to the World Cup next summer. A lot of what we talked about centred on bringing young black girls up through the system, widening the talent pool further so that in five or ten years we see them represented in the England side. There have been these new regional talent centres set up as well and today I hand over to Anne-Marie to catch up with that next generation. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. So, as Lindsay said, today we wanted to catch up with some young black players coming through the system and find out what's been done to help them to do exactly that. That's why I'm with Patience Kavule, who's 17 and plays for Hilltop Women's FC, and Ava King, who's 14 and plays for the mighty Crystal Palace in southeast London. Plus, we are joined by former professional footballer and women's football equality, diversity and inclusion executive at the PFA, Fern Whelan. Welcome, all three of you. Good to see you. Thank you. Hello. Hello, indeed. Hello, indeed. Patience, I'm going to come to you first. First question, how did you get into football? I'm the youngest out of three siblings. So my older brother was very sporty. 
And I think I just kind of looked up to him and just kind of took it on more. And then obviously I live in Northwest London, Brent. So growing up, I was around a lot of the boys. I was a I was a girl's boy. So I was always playing football. I never really wore dresses. And I just, it was kind of my sort of thing. And what made you fall in love with the game, Patience, would you say? I think just for 90 minutes, just being able to forget about everything. Like I know that's such a cliche kind of thing, but just 90 minutes, you just, a nice feeling, win or lose, like at least you played some football. Was it a nice feeling for you as well, Ava, taking that first kick of the football when you're on the pitch? Yeah, I started when I was younger as well with like my dad just in a park kicking the ball. And then when as I got like, I don't know, you could say like eight or nine, I actually joined a proper club and they kind of wel- welcomed me into the like, you know, like football atmosphere, which was really nice. And then I got a sense of like just love from everybody around me, especially because I started at Lewisham Tigers. So I didn't know that like, because I saw a lot of men on the TV, I didn't see a lot of women. So when I saw that there could be actual like girls clubs around, just made me really excited for what could happen in the future. For you, Fern, when you started on your journey, how did that come about? Very similar, actually, to these guys as well. I was um, I was playing, my brother played. He played for Chester City, Shrewsbury Town. He grew up, he started playing for Liverpool. Liverpool's a big um, football and city. Uh, so football was everywhere. It was in my eye. But I was the only girl that played out of all my friends. Uh, um, all my friends were boys. But yeah, it was a very, very similar journey. I'm, I'm just loving Ava's big smile as well. About, you can see the passion behind it, how much she just loves the game. And I think that was it for me as well. It was, you know, it was that escapism and just really absolutely loving life. I mean, I got home from school. It was go and get your kit on and go out and play football. And that was the way it was from, I don't know, the age of eight and then never stopped being that way, really. Just always enjoyed the game and loved playing it. So when did you know that this could be a career for you, Fern, playing the game professionally? Yeah, I think it, it was probably around the age of 13. I think it was. I got scouted for England. I remember the, I'll never forget the day the letter came through. That's what it used to be back in the day. Everything gets sent on letterhead of paper, big England flag in the corner. And it was like, you've been selected for your first under 15 England camp. And it's kind of a bit of a, oh, okay, I might actually be good at this thing. I might actually be a little bit better than I think. And then from then on, it was kind of within the system. I kept kept getting called up, kept wanting to work hard and, you know, getting sent programmes out to do in the middle of winter on a boggy field. My brother-in-law used to come with me and I did. I, you know, I slogged it out and I really loved it and I enjoyed it. And that was it. Then I kept getting called up. I signed for Everton when I was 16. And, you know, that was the first time it had been really kind of semi-professional for me then. And I just kind of stuck with it from then on. And stuck with it. And it's giving you so many opportunities, which we'll talk about in a bit. So patience for you, because you play, as I mentioned at the top for Hilltop Women's FC. Are lots of your black female friends playing football? So Hilltop is a predominantly like Somali based team. And for me, I would say at the start, it was like a I'm the kind of like only non like Somali player. But for me, playing with Hilltop, like it's just very welcoming. Like they really treat you as a family. Like it's it was really nice the way they welcomed me. Growing up, growing up, I'm not gonna lie, I didn't really, I didn't really play with a club until I got to like 14 because it just used to be like knockouts in the estate with all the boys. So I think when I reached the age of 14, 15, I first started playing with Crooked Wanderers, and it it was a predominantly black club as well. So I don't think I really faced that trouble with 
playing with girls my color. But then when I'm talking school-wise, like school team, it was, I was the only black girl on the school team, yeah. Eva, for you, I know that there's a lot of talent, no disrespect to the North Western, but there's a lot of talent in South East London. <laughs> I think, I always feel like there's a bit of a battle going on between the North West and South East London when it comes to talent, right? So Ava, Crystal Palace, a predominantly multicultural area. Does it feel like a safe space for you to play the team like Patience was talking about? It feels like family. Do you get that sense, the community? Yeah, I feel like it's the same with Crystal Palace, really. Like the coaches are really supportive and everyone, like all my teammates as well, when it comes to like everyone improving together as one. And also like next year will be, some of us might be leaving because it'll be, who gets moved up to the under 16s and maybe get released next year. So it's everyone really wants to work hard for that spot. Yes, yeah, and it's an important time, isn't it? That, that 15, 16 years of age. So, Fern, you've been there, you've done it. Do you feel over the last few years that women's football has become a space where young black women can feel included? I'd like to hope so. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, what was being said already on the call is that you know, both of you feel comfortable, you feel supported, you feel like you're part of a family. And, you know, that's really good. I think for me, when I was playing, I did feel part of a family. I, you know, I can't say I didn't, but I was part of a very white family. <laughs> I was the only black player on the team, on most teams that I played for until I got to Everton. And then I was playing around the likes of Nikita Paris and Gabby George and players like that. But that was a little bit later on into, into my career. I think at grassroots level, it tended to really just be me. But you know, back then, I suppose I didn't really know any different. I think whereas now, you know, the conversations are getting had a lot more and trying to make people feel supported, make people feel included. So I think definitely that, you know, it's it's happening a lot more currently that, you know, players can be comfortable in their own skin and, you know, that everybody's equal and everyone's the same. And I think that's the way we want it to be and the way it should be. We want anyone coming through to feel like, they, you know, they can be a part of women's football because everyone's got something different and something unique to offer. And I think that's really our message that we want to send is try and make the whole of football as inclusive as possible, especially, you know, on the diversity aspect. That's really where I've been honing in on in the last year or so. And Fen, you talked about that that spotlight over the last few months, over the last few years. There's been a real spotlight shone on the Lionesses, of course. There was big discussions around that. Fantastic for the win for the Lionesses, but also where is the diversity coming from? So how heartening is it to see somebody like Ava coming through the ranks and somebody like Patience coming through the ranks? Oh, so heartening. Honestly, it's putting like a massive smile on my face. And, you know, I'm really like loving just listening to you guys' story, like hearing about your journey and that you can see, you know, I think ahead of you, you can see that there's a pathway. You can see that, you know, there's a place for you in the game. Obviously, Within the Euros, potentially, yes, we've only got three black players in that Euros squad and we want to see more. And like part of my role at the PFA, I kind of over the last year, I set up a bit of a campaign called See It, Achieve It campaign. And, you know, if you haven't heard about it, girls, I'd love you to go and have a look on the Internet, you know, have a little read up because I want really to for you guys to see role models ahead of you within the game so you can see that there's, you know, there's pathways, there's avenues for you to be able to achieve what you want to do in football. And that that for me is really is really what we want to hone in on. So, you know, the likes of Victoria Williams, the likes of Demi Stokes, the likes of Nikita Paris, these players playing in the league at the minute, you know, you can look at them and you can hear their stories, you can see how they got to where they are. And ideally what I'd like it to be is that they tend they can then mentor you guys in terms of you can have that contact with the players then and 
for me, I think as a player, that would have been great. Like I could see Rachel Yankee, but for me, she was in the distance. She was untouchable. She was, it was great. I could see her and, you know, that was kind of my inspiration. But how good would it be if maybe I could have had a, a chat with her and, you know, had a little bit of a conversation around how she got to where she did, if there was anything maybe I was struggling with. As you say, for you, Ava, you're going to be going up to the potentially to the 16s next year. And then again, that's another transition. So it's it's supporting you along your journey a little bit as well, which is what I'd like to see happen over the, the next course of five years or so. Obviously, it's not a, a quick turnaround, but that's what I'd like to see. So let's stick with the Lionesses for the moment, Ava. Was England winning the Euros a big moment for you or did you see that there is a a lack of role models for you to aspire to? Personally, for me, I think it was a bit of both. When when I first heard they were going into the Euros, I thought that was amazing. Like even just like representation for women in football was like a big step, like achievement. But then I think maybe the next step or the step like we should take right now is to get more like people of colour through the system so that we can see more people of colour playing football as the years go by. And same questions for you as well, Patience. Did you feel when you were watching the Euros, was it a big moment or or did you see that there was a lack of role models for you to, to look up to like Ava? I'm not going to lie. I feel like me personally, I feel like there was a lack of role models for me to look up to. Like I just... I didn't really feel like I connected with any of the players because it's like you hear about the players they've been with Arsenal since they're like six and they've just gone through the whole way in academies and it's like for someone who's never played academy a day in their life it just it just felt really unrealistic like obviously it was it was great that the woman won but then obviously another downplay to it is like I just don't feel like the way the men would have been congratulated was just not the same way that the women were which is really kind of hurtful to me because it's like how are the women bringing it home and you're not giving them the same amount of love when the men lost? Yeah, because I think, Fern, you've talked about it extensively. There's been discussions about this and there's been ways of trying to address this issue about the di- about diversity, not just within the England national setup, but also within the WSL, the championship and the lower leagues as well. And the sense that I get, Fern, is that there's not one single answer to this issue, that there are a number of variables, a lot of moving parts that need to to fall into place for us to, to tackle this issue. Is that something you agree with? Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's definitely there's definitely not one answer. I think part of the problem for me was, you know, when I was kind of growing up, there, there was always teams, there was always somewhere to go, there was always somewhere to play. And you know, as patients alluded to, there she's maybe not gone through an academy system, and it, it went very centralised. It went very elitist shall we say in terms of who can get to training who can access the facilities there's a very small pool that we choose from um, and it kind of cuts off that access to to girls who want to play or who want to just enjoy the sport or who want to kind of develop within the sport and you know we we had the model when I played that it was centre of excellences and there was so many maybe 50 plus across the country that got reduced to 30 so straight away you're reducing how many girls can go and play and um, how many girls can be spotted how many girls can be recruited and then I think now, you know, that it's been addressed, it's been noticed. The FA have now made these emerging talent centres and they've tried to increase the numbers across the country in terms of, um, you know, who can access training, maybe, you know, get that quality coaching, but still play alongside the grassroots level. I think what they didn't want to do was go down the academy system and completely follow what the men do so that girls potentially, you know, a lot of the success stories come from players playing with boys. Um, so it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's great for you guys to be able to play 
um, with boys for as long as you can because it you know builds that that strength, that resilience, that confidence. Um, so I think there's an arm to maybe doing both. So for me, there's there's conversations being had, there's things being done, but it's it's a case of can we continue to do more? Can we continue to maybe seek those areas? So in terms of like my research, I'm looking at some of the WSL teams and for example, I look at Redden and they've got one black player. And for me, I'm like, we, we want more. So we can look, some of the teams do it brilliantly, don't get me wrong, but I think maybe then we how can we support those teams that don't have that diversity is the things that maybe we can be doing better within the clubs and can we be having those conversations at not just an FA level but at a club level across the whole board just so people are aware of it and they want to do more and they want to to make that change and help support the change. Patience, how important is it that people when it comes to tackling the issue of diversity think outside the box a little bit that they don't just think of look at players that are on the academy path, but they look at players on the non-academy pathway. Um, I think it's quite important because I think there's a lot of quality outside the whole academy route. I think there's a lot of quality outside, but I feel like no one actually, no one actually listens li- listens or watches us as players because they just they just feel like okay, cool, you haven't had any academy training before, and it's important we tackle it because it kind of makes us feel as female players. It's just like, oh, we're just playing normal Sunday, normal Saturday. And then it's like you almost fall out of love with the sport because it's like anyone who had true intentions of going pro is being downplayed because they feel like they're never going to make it. That is true. I mean, I know footballers on the male side who came through, they played at cage football and were spotted that way. And now... In terms of the women's game, I think people have to think slightly more out of the box. And Fern talked about the regional talent centres. They're going to be replaced now by a different structure, trying to think a bit more outside the box so we can get more talent coming through, heading up the elite pathway. So, Ava, for you, what do you think when a talent scout is looking at a footballer, what should they look at? I feel like they should not only look at like their talent on the ball and like on the pitch, but how they say if they lost the game, how they treated the game or like treated their players after that as well. And yet how they respect one another on the pitch as well and off the pitch. Great yeah, answer. I yeah, I was going to say that's that's a great answer as well in terms of like, you can see, can't you, when you watch someone play, like work ethic, like passion, that type of thing as well, that, that can't be unnoticed. So if you misplace a pass, great. But what do you do after you've misplaced the pass? Do you go and chase it down to win it back? That type of thing. So not just the technical ability there's a a lot that goes into being a footballer but yeah sorry I just added on to the back of that no it's great it's great (laughs) I'd actually add on to that I think it's such a fantastic answer from you Ava I think values as well being you know a nice person it's all brilliant that you're able to bring on the pitch but what about off the pitch as well and one other thing as well we need to look at is you know is there a class issue Fern because that's also a big debate within the women's game? I think that goes back to the what I, what I was saying too in terms of the access. A lot of the training centres for where you need to get to, as you said, patients, you, you can go to your local, you can go to a cage, but no one's going to spot you in those. So if you're going to train and you go to Everton, Brighton, these type of places, you need to get a train, you need to get a bus, you need to get a car, you need to get a taxi. And then at the minute, like we'll be honest, we're going through a, a cost of living crisis, aren't we? So sometimes it's a it's a choice of putting food on the table, or it's a choice of paying to go to training, and you know what you're going to do in this day and age. So potentially you could have that issue, couldn't you? Really, that 
we are outclassing people into who can actually play the game and that shouldn't be what it is. It's just picking up a football and going and enjoying it. But in terms of what you're saying before as well about thinking outside the box, that's definitely where we could do more, 100% in terms of, you know, the scouting system. Where are we looking? Where are we finding the players from? Because it's all well and good going to somewhere where you know there's going to be quality it's going and seeking out the places where you might not you get you find those hidden gems for me if you if you do that um and I think we need to think about how we do that more and how we do it better you know if it's not going to happen overnight I think we know that as you know as training facilities as all this type of stuff increases hopefully that pathway you know we start to see things increase a little bit more but for me it's we don't lose players so we don't get the likes of patience or either getting all the way up to 16, 18, and then thinking, do you know what? It's not for me. I don't see it. I can't connect with the players. I'm going to go off and do something else. I think for me, that's what I'm really passionate about is now we've got the players within that system, stay in it, stay in it and really stick with it to get yourself up to the top. So, and for me, it's great just hearing from you guys as well because I don't get the opportunity to do this. So, you know, thank you. (laughs) I'm just listening as well into what you're saying. Patience, how great is it to have somebody like Fern who has you know, worked her socks off to achieve what she's achieved and she still wants more, that the hunger is there, but there she's actually doing it off the pitch rather than on the pitch. I think it's just really nice. It's just really, it's, it's a nice feeling because you don't really hear of it often. Like to know that someone who's made it on the pitch is still carrying on to work for girls and diversity just on and off the pitch for our improvement is just so much better because it just it makes you feel warm inside knowing that I'll like maybe it might not happen for me but it might be another girl's little dream another little girl's dreams that still works out for them of course what are you talking about of course it's going to happen for you I fully expect to see you and Ava as well playing at Wembley at some point in the next five ten years so, yes, of course it's going to happen for you. I believe it. Ava, for you as well, is that, is, do you agree with, with Patience? How heartening is it to see somebody like Fern who is still so passionate about the game and is, who wants to continue the fight to, include, to increase diversity? Yeah, I agree um, with everything Patience said as well. And it's like, it's not every day you get to like even speak to a person who's trying to change what's happening in the game as well. So, having the opportunity to speak to Fern and see what she's actually doing to improve the football system is really good. Thank you. I think Fern, you and I, you know, when we look at it, this is going to be, it's not going to be a sprint, is it? It's going to be a marathon in terms of how long it's going to take for black women, South Asian women, Southeast Asian women to come through the ranks, come through grassroots, come through the system, if you like, or, through other means to reach that elite level, it's going to take time. So how do we encourage people to stay with us as we fight to make this change? I think it's just by showing that we are, as you know, we're having these conversations, you've seen on this obviously conversation say how passionate I am and I'm working in an organisation that is very passionate about changing the face of the game and making it as, as diverse as possible. Um, so, I, you know, I think for me, it's we, we stick with it in that sense. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, but for me, it's drip feeding kind of conversations into people's ears all the time. I know, you know, in this month we're talking about Black History Month, but for me, with what I'm doing in terms of the See it Achieve It campaign, it's every month. It's not just one month that we talk about a Black player in the WSL. The next month we celebrate another one. The next month we might talk to former players about what they're doing now and, you know, keep that that connect 
that connection between the younger players, between the current players, between the former players. So you can see that, you know, there's pathways within the game and obviously patience, we don't want you to, as you're saying, you might not make it or whatever, but, you know, there's 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 loads of avenues within football. It's not just potentially on the pitch. It could be off the pitch. It could be in the boardroom. It could be coaching. So, you know, we want the whole face of women's football to be as diverse as possible. And it started on the pitch, don't get me wrong, but I'm not on the pitch anymore. I'm in the background. I'm in an executive role. And that's what we want to see. You know, we want to see our faces everywhere really as much as possible so you know we we continue the cause and patience how important is it to see not just diversity on the pitch but also within the coaching staff as well it's just I feel like it helps easy especially let's say moving to a different club and it's a predominantly white club and you see that coach maybe it can help you ease in or settle in better so someone knows where you're coming from so you're not always feeling left out as a sense if you know that there's someone in the coaching team that has come from a similar background from you I feel like it just kind of helps you feel at ease Mm, I have to agree with that you know being coached by Hope Powell at England at Brighton and just having her there and knowing that maybe she might have been through a similar thing to me she can kind of relate to me I could always have the conversations with her that I needed to it just kind of makes you feel a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more at ease. Not to say that any of the the white managers I've been managed by didn't give me that because we all had different kind of connections. But, you know, I, I have to second what you're saying there, definitely. And Ava, I'm going to slightly put you on the spot, but what else do you think we can do to make women's football a more inclusive space? Maybe like from young, just recruit like people of all colours, like just to come to grassroots football clubs and see how much like, they enjoy it. and if even if they don't enjoy it, like just try push them to like just get involved in different types of sports that they can like pursue when they're older so what opportunities do you think football has given you oh massive opportunity I mean my life my whole life has been football if I'm honest it's it's all I've known and I've gone through so many different avenues with it you know playing on the pitch the friendships I've made, the support networks I've created, I think off the pitch, probably more so on the pitch. I spent a lot of time injured, unfortunately, while I was playing for England. But, you know, the real kind of team mentality for me and always being supported was massive. And I've, I've taken that with me throughout my life in terms of how I approach things as well. So I don't like to ever see people on their own. And I think that's kind of just who I am now. I like to kind of support people as I know they've supported me. Um, but also just the opportunities I've been given you know I got injured and then I went and through the PFA I did a physiotherapy degree so I had those opportunities to go and study while I was playing and then after playing as well you know I kind of I now work within the PFA which is a completely different realm to me but for me the reason I took that role was because again I want to continue that support to the players that I know are coming up after me and I think it's it's always been a place where I've never felt isolated in football ever I've always felt like I've had that you know, that little team behind me. And even through retirement, I think, I'll be honest, I struggled the first year of not playing. It was tough. I struggled to watch it. But the people that were connecting with me, the people that were looking out for me over my shoulder were the people I'd played football with because they got it. And, you know, every you, the people you play with, they seem to just get you on a different level. So, yeah, I'm very thankful to what football's given me. And, you know, I owe everything to football, really, even though we've had some We've had some tough moments, me and football as well. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I would say with you guys is that I want you to think of one question you want to ask each other. 
So we've got a few more minutes left, but have a think about one question that you'd like to ask each other because I'm going to come to you in a second. But Ava, for the moment, the opportunity of football, playing with your friends, socialising, what does football, what other opportunities does football give you? From outside of football, my former club, Bloomsbury, uh, I had a really exciting opportunity to be in um, L Magazine with Nike as well. So I was um, in yeah L Magazine with a few, like I think it was like, Beth Mead, Lucy Bronze and some others. So that was really cool. And then like for the Nike and L campaign, like for Nike uh, promoting the women's Euros, I got to go to like a lot of events for them as well, which is really cool. And um, yeah, and I got like opportunities to go see, like go to the actual matches of the, the Euros, which is really good as well. Amazing meeting elite. That's amazing meeting elite stars. That's yeah, fantastic. What about you, Patience? What opportunities has football given you so far? And what would you like it to do for you as well for the future? Well, I've obviously created like best friendships I could ask for. I've met a lot of amazing people, um, like JJ, um, the Somali referee. Um, she's helped me a lot. She even got me a Nike shoot with Emma Hayes. Emma Hayes, the Chelsea Chelsea coach. And um, that was like a really, really nice experience. Like it was a nice shoot. We did a training session with her. Um, just opening me up to, to like see things more f- from outside of football, like seeing it from a referee point of view, seeing it from a fan point of view, seeing it from someone who's playing. I've just met a lot of incredible people. And I think one thing I hope it will do for me in the future is just just continue to make me feel safe. Like, I feel like that's my my safe space. Like, when I'm on the pitch, nothing can really trouble me because I'm on the pitch. I like that. That's your place where you can be free, right? And just be you. Yeah, I, I totally every, get that. I think every footballer would second that, 100%, 100%. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Right, Fern, serious question for you, Fern. Solutions, we kind of touched on it already, and I've talked about that this is not going to be a solution that's going to happen overnight. It's going to going to take time. Is it also a case that it is like the PFA, the FA, grassroots leagues, just all come together on a regular basis and have these discussions and back it up with their words, with actions on it, and be held accountable, I would say. Yeah, definitely. You've got to have people in those positions that want to make change do you know what I mean so it's not just lip service so I hope from the conversation we've had today you can see how much I want to make that change in terms of from the PFA's perspective so it's about us all collectively as you say yes working together we're all kind of we've got the same agenda but we're doing things individually we don't want to replicate because again that's a waste of time so it's you know we want to be doing things as a team let's say as a whole big football team but you've got to have the people in the boardrooms, in the higher top end of football, who are thinking like this, who've got this like-minded thought process rather than, because yes, the people on the ground can want to do it, but if it's not coming from the top and it's not filtering down, then for me, that that's the main thing. So we, we have to take a look at ourselves as organisations as well, look in it and say, are we doing everything within our organisation to collectively, you know, increase our representation within our organisations that we can then deliver that message, obviously, into into the league and into obviously grassroots level and everything like that. So it's the message that we want to send from within, but also then to collectively do it together and find those solutions and really dig deep, I think, to to get the answers. Because as you said before, it's always been, 
oh, it could have been this, this might have been the reason, this might have been it. We used to have X amount of black players, we've now only got three. Why is the why is that the problem? Like, do you know what I mean? So we don't want to be guessing. We want to make sure we've got we've got it right this time so that we don't end up with the same conversation 10 years down the line. Yeah, brilliant stuff. Okay, so time to ask each other a question. So who would like to go first? I'll go. Um, just a question to both of you, really. I mean, it's been amazing hearing from you and listening to you guys, but obviously we can be doing all this work in terms of the PFA, in terms of the FA. And for me, I, you know, a big thing for me was about seeing people ahead of me, which is why I started off this See It Achiever campaign. But just how important is it to you guys to have role models in, you know, in the playing positions and how, how important is it to be able to connect with them on the pitch to to really inspire and, you know, really make you want to kind of achieve that next level? Or is it something that we we're just guessing that is it something we're just talking about saying you need to see these people or does it actually make a difference I feel like these people need to be someone who we can relate to like someone who it kind of hits home with like if I'm hearing about someone from northwest that lived a couple rows down for me that put in the work because they were just driven by the love of football I feel like I'm more likely to be inspired rather than hearing about someone who grew up in a higher class and do you know what I mean yeah yeah okay and it's and would that make a difference in terms of obviously you see it so maybe you see them in the media you see them on the pitch but how much of a difference would it make if let's say they were at your training session or I feel like um, they were there or thereabouts where you were playing it it would show that they have the time to come down like they have the time to come down and speak to us to push us because a lot of people don't really come back to where they came from. And I feel like that's important because you, you kind of need to show people, I made it out from here, so so can you. Yeah, okay. That's- Ava, is anything you want to add to that? Uh, I agree with patience as well. Like one she said before, like when you hear like professional players now coming from like they've only been in academy and now they're in like, I don't know, like all the big clubs. It's just like, it's quite unrelatable because not all people just go straight from academy and then they don't go all, all the way through the system so it'd be nice like patient sets for someone who you can relate to and actually like have like share the same maybe issues you've gone through as growing up as like a footballer great that's a great question as well Fern. thank you for that Ava I'm going to come to you next do you have a question and who's it for my question is for Fern and the question is, um, is what you're doing now affecting the future, like in a good way, affecting the future of women's football? It's a great question. I mean, all I can say to that is I hope so. I think I, I would like to hope that the, the work I'm putting in behind the scenes and that the work I'm doing and trying to, you know, have conversations like this um, and, you know, speak to young girls like you. I mean, I work for the PFA, so it's, technically the professional football association but I'm kind of I'm not hung up on that because I know that the players that are coming through grassroots the players that are coming through the academies the players that are eventually going to be getting to the professional level so you know we start from the ground and it's just as important so I'm hoping that the work we're doing is making a difference um and that's the message I want to send is that there is work being done I think it just there's nothing worse than you know if you're saying you know patient said before she, she couldn't relate to players in the England team it wasn't relatable to her there's nothing worse than thinking it's not always going to stay that way. Um, and for me, I'd like to hope that it's not going to stay that way and that, 
you know, we, we see more players signing professional contracts from from diverse backgrounds as we have just, we have done, I think, a player at Liverpool who's just signed a professional contract, a, a young black player there as well. So, yeah, I think it's changing. It, I'd like it to be quick, but unfortunately, I don't think it will be. But yeah, we we move, I think, is is the word I'm trying to say. But yeah, hopefully we're getting there. Patience. Who's been patient, so to speak? <laughs> sorry, I had to get that one in there. Uh, who's your question talking, for sorry. what is it? Um, my question is for Fern and is in the position that you're in now, what is one thing you would change while you were playing that you felt really kind of bothered you as a player? Oh, that's a good question. God, there's so much that's changed now as the game's gone on. I'm trying to think where we're at now because when I was playing, it was semi-pro. So a lot of the struggles for me while I was playing was just getting getting paid getting you know get being able to have the time on the pitch I think I was I was a physiotherapist I was working full-time playing part-time we were training at night time I think the main gripe for me was was the access and the feeling like a second-class citizen within football clubs like it just it wasn't good enough you know we were always made to feel like the men go in then the boys go in then the eight-year-old boys go in okay it's half eight now you guys can train and then you don't finish till half 10, you're home at 11, then you're up having to do a job. So for me, it's that was a real gripe of mine whilst playing. And the good thing, you know, now we can see is that the league is, is full-time professional. I think for me going forward, I would love to see the championship become full-time professional as well. So that more and more girls, you know, can can enjoy the sport and can can really get some payback for, for what they do because we work very, very hard to, you know, week in, week out to be able to play on a Sunday. So I think for me, it was the professionalisation was the main thing. And I think going forward, I'd love to see every player in the Super League just be given boots, to be honest. I think he, he, just to be playing, you know, the tools of your trade, I think things like that don't, you know, I was working in an academy boys team and they're all coming in and getting three, four, five pairs of boots and they play for the academy. But you, you're playing for your first team, you know, you're on telly, you're on Sky, you're on BBC and you're still not getting boots. <laughs> Even now, there's players in the Super League who don't get boots. Do you know what I mean? So for me, stuff like that, sponsorship, commercial partnerships, that's the next step for, for the women's game. It's great to see it for the Lionesses. Um, it really is. But I think, you know, equal access across the whole of the Super League um, is, is the next thing for me and the opportunities for the girls who are playing in it. And that's a great note to wrap up on. So we're going to wrap up the discussion, but so much food for thought for us to keep the conversation going in the future. So my thanks to Fern, Patience and Ava for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you very much for doing that, Anne-Marie. And thank you as well to Fern, Patience and Ava. If you want to join the conversation or show support for anything that was said there, please get in touch on social media at The Athletic UK and at Offside Rule Pod. As Anne-Marie said, we'll make sure to keep this important conversation going. And I think that's the big crux to this, Anne-Marie, isn't it? Is that it's something we don't want to just visit in Black History Month, which is why we were at pains to point out we started this conversation a long time ago in the summer. Yes, you know, I've had that conversation. We've spoken about it on the pod as well. I've been very vocal about it. Yes, it is something that should be 300 and I was going to say 365 days. Let's exclude Christmas Day. Have a day off. <laughs> days of focusing in all seriousness. I'm focusing on on this particular and on this particular topic that it you know we cannot afford for it to to go away because as you rightly said, the next five or ten years are going to be apt 
absolutely crucial. So it's in, it's really important to keep our eyes across this and keep talking about it as well so the conversation's active. And it was so nice as well to hear from that next generation. Often we speak about them so much. Let's hear from them. Um, now, time to look ahead to what's coming up this week. There's more midweek excitement as the Champions League group stage continues. On Wednesday, PSG travel to Real Madrid and Chelsea host Vlasnia. Then on Thursday, Arsenal host Zurich and Lyon travel to Juventus. So do we think Arsenal, after that result last time, it's got us all fired up. Can they maintain that excellent form? Anne-Marie? Of course they can. Of course they can. Who could imagine that they would have battered Leon? I think everyone was taken totally by surprise. I think for me personally, I knew Arsenal had a good shot. I just didn't expect such a big goal margin. They haven't lost in 11. They're at home as well. They're going to get a massive crowd. Let's hope the weather is a bit better over the next few days than it has been over the weekend. It's the first meeting, I think, against Zurich. So clean slate. Take nothing for granted, but given that Arsenal are in such good, rich reign of form, the momentum's with them, they're at home, I'd expect nothing less than a win. And they're doing that without Leah Williamson and Rafaeli Souza as well at the moment, which is astonishing. Uh, Vlasnia, they are the first Albanian club to get to the last 16 of any European competition. That's since KF Tirana in the uh, 89-90 Men's European Cup. I want to see, uh, you know, Chelsea on fire for this game because I, I, we saw an Arsenal playing out of the first line of pressure like Barcelona. Uh, we did not see that from Chelsea uh, against PSG. So I hope that they will show us uh, something else this week. Doesn't stop there either because in domestic football, after Wednesday's Continental League Cup group games, it's a full WSL weekend. Arsenal host an inform West Ham. Manchester United travel to Everton, who are currently fourth. Plus Chelsea welcome Aston Villa. Reading host Leicester and Spurs travel to Brighton. Uh, which of those games are you going to be at, Anne-Marie, if any? I'm actually going to be at Chelsea and Aston Villa. I'm hosting the match for them because it is a Rainbow Laces event. This whole week is about Rainbow Laces, of course, supporting the campaign. Say yes to Rainbow Laces and no to hate. And Chelsea haven't lost against Villa in a long time, at least in the last five meetings anyway. So uh, I think this will be a nice, a nice match for Chelsea. But one player to keep an eye on is, of course, Rachel Daly. She has had the most shots on target for Villa. So... Could Chelsea concede? I hope not. They're very keen on keeping their clean sheets. They have conceded a couple of times in the WSL, so they'll want a clean sheet. And of course, Emma's not by the touchline, but I'm sure the coaching team will be shouting loud. Uh, loud in Denise Reddy's ear, I'm sure. <laughs> I've heard some some good things about Sorensen coming out of that Everton squad. And as soon as you've got your links to those Sweden players, what have you heard? Because I hear that tactically and in training, he's he's very different in his approach. And I think they're finding that quite refreshing. Yeah, I do think so as well. And I mean, obviously, he has trained and coached players like Signe Brun and Penilla Harder uh, also, I, I must add. So I do think that he's a, he's a good coach for the young players in that squad. And the players are on loan, like a player like Yes Park. I mean, what a brilliant chance and opportunity she will have this season to to shine. Uh, and I think Brian Sørensen is the, the perfect coach for, for those players to to go up to the next level. Mm. Well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. So we're going to put a pin in it. 
Um, that's it on this week's Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Um, thank you to Anne-Marie and to Mia. Really appreciate having you both on. And um, thank you as well at home for listening in. We love seeing all of your comments, so please keep those coming as well on social media. You can get in touch at The Athletic UK and at Offside Rule Pod. And we will be back next time when we'll take the pin out. The Athletic.